This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it. And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. Well, Ed Litton's not doing any interviews for the foreseeable future. I tried. I tried to get the embattled head of the SBC to talk about his plagiarism with me. Maybe he heard my Mark Driscoll interview and decided that was not maybe such a good move. I did find it kind of hilarious, though, what his excuse was through his media rep. He's getting ready to go out of town and he's focusing on the task force that the SBC has commissioned him to work on. Oh, okay. That's your excuse? Okay. That's fantastic. I'm sure if I worked with MSNBC, you would sometime, you know, have some ability to find time in your schedule to get on the horn, maybe on your cell phone. They have these nifty new things called cell phones, and they work as you're driving to airports. They work as you're sitting in airports. It's amazing how people can make time for an interview when they like what the person will do. Here's a case in point. Ed Litton, the person who has been engaged in a very growing plagiarism scandal, uh, in addition to a heresy scandal that a lot of people are not talking about anymore, but I'm going to talk about it. Uh, He actually did some media on July 2nd, going into the 4th of July weekend. And it's an old trick of the trade. If you want to release some bad news that makes your side look bad, what you do is you make sure that you release the news on a Friday afternoon when nobody is paying attention, they're looking toward the weekend. And even better, if you release that news going into a holiday weekend, then you have even more days for the news to get lost in the shuffle and to make sure that millions of people who otherwise might see the story aren't going to be paying attention because they're out of town and they're going to parades and doing everything you would do over the 4th of July. Now, what I found interesting was the two interviews that he did on July 2nd, going into, you know, burying it in the holiday weekend traffic, were two of the worst interviews I've ever heard because when you have somebody who has done something as egregious as Ed Litton has done, what you want, if you are a real journalist or somebody who is serious about sin as a Christian, you want to ask some hard questions, tough but fair questions. You don't want to necessarily insult somebody or be nasty or mean, but you do want to get to the bottom of what this person is embroiled in and get some honesty. Well, first of all, one of the interviews he did was with a small radio host in Alabama. This was a 21 45 second, 21 minute, 45 second interview. And it took until after minute 20 for the host to even raise the issue of the scandal. He spent the lion's share of the time uh, asking about Ed Litton's spiritual journey and Ed Litton's time appearing in Christian movies. What an actor you are, Ed Litton. And I'm just going, are you going to get to the meat of what's going on ever? Yes. at, At minute 20 minutes and 27 seconds, he finally addressed the scandal. Listen to this. Cut one. People have been seeing the headlines about the past, the, the sermons, 
and uh, you know how how pastors will oftentimes borrow from one another. And you and JD Greer, good friends. Just just if you can give, I hate to do this, but thirty forty seconds on just where that stands and just clarify. Yeah, the best clarification I can give you is go to goredemption.com. I have a statement on our website, and I stand by that statement. I I basically explain how we study from week to week, how we write sermons, uh, and and I have a collective of men who are on training to preach, and they're part of our church. They preach in our campuses and different places. But yeah. at the same time, it's my responsibility, and and I take responsibility for what I say in that statement. And if you would, if you're interested in the you. subject, please go read it. Okay, I, and I encourage everybody to do that. You know, I had to ask about it and just let you speak to it real quickly. But you've no, done that and made a really it. great statement. Well, Dr. Litton, we're out of time. Uh, We'll look forward to having you back, sir. God bless you. And uh, we're praying for you. And uh, we hope that you have a mighty, mighty influence for the gospel. Thank you, sir. Thank you, brother. Unbelievable. So you wait until the closing music to bring up the scandal so you're sure to not have time to actually press him on his plagiarism? That's embarrassing. You wait until the closing music to start talking about it. Oh, yeah, I totally stand behind my statement. Well, I hope you'll have a mighty, mighty influence for the gospel. How about the fact that you're talking to a man who has plagiarized the former president of the SBC repeatedly? Now it's been released that his co-pastor also has apparently borrowed sermon elements from J.D. Greer. It just keeps growing and growing and growing. And these guys want it to go away. Go away. So what do you do? You go on media outlets where you're not going to get questions. You're going to get fawned over and praised and 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 given softballs. That's what Ed wants. He doesn't. He's getting ready to go out of town. He doesn't have time to come on my show. I'm sure it's a matter of pressed for time. That's all it is. It doesn't have anything to do with whether or not he thinks I'm going to ask him softball questions. Listen, if Ed Litton came on my show, I would welcome it. I would not be mean. But yeah, I'd be tough. Yeah, I'd be tough. Now, let's go to his other interview. This was with Jonathan Howe. Oh, this is a very neutral source. The head of Baptist Press, which is the propaganda arm. It's evolved into nothing more than a propaganda arm for the SBC elite. He brought up the subject of similarities in sermons. Is that what we're calling plagiarism now? And Ed Litton responded. Listen to this. Cut to. A lot of things going on in the SBC. One of the big ones revolves around a statement that you made last week after a video popped up showing some uh, similarities of a sermon that you'd preached uh, with that of J.D. Greer. And uh, and you released a statement last weekend, and and I'm going to read a part of the statement, and we'll jump into the interview right out of that. But uh, like thousands of other Southern Baptist pastors, I labor every week preparing to stand in front of the congregation God has called me to serve. In preparation for our series on Romans, I use several resources to help me think through how to structure the series and how best to communicate the profound truths we encounter in these passages. Now, one of those resources you used, obviously, was a sermon series from 2019 by J.D. Greer. So I know a lot of people have read your statement and still a lot of questions out there. So sure. why we just start this, get, let you address that right out the gate. Yeah, no, I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, I stand by the statement. Um, it was a part of our study and it wasn't just one sermon. I mean, you can hear illustrations and different statements throughout uh, several of those sermons and um, had J.D.'s permission, but encouragement. Okay, J.D. Greer gave him permission and encouragement. Now, note that the first statement uh, was emphasizing that there was one sermon involved, and then he made some reference to throughout the series. But what's happened was he admitted 
explicitly to one sermon being plagiarized. And then there were all these other sermons that people found because he took 140 sermons off his website. As I've been telling you, he took 140 sermons down or his staff did. And the reason given was that they just didn't want people going after their pastor and taking things out of context. You know what? When you have a godly man who is doing his own research and writing of his own sermons, you can go through every sermon and you're not going to find anything, are you? No. You're not. People who are honest and have integrity and have ethics don't hide things. You know why? Because when you are about integrity, you welcome scrutiny. It doesn't scare you. It doesn't intimidate you. It doesn't worry you a bit because you know that they're not going to find anything that will embarrass you. You stand behind your work and everything you did was on the up and up. All right, let's play one more cut here before we go to break. Talking about outlining Romans and looking at what they covered. Listen to the lack of shame here. This is cut three. The other thing we did is I, as we were trying to outline the book of Romans, which is a challenge, uh, we, we finally looked at it and looked at what they had covered and felt like it was sufficient. And we also received permission to use the, the passages from week to week. And so that makes it look even more similar. But uh, what I'm stating is that, that we, did our, we did our Greek work, we did our commentary work, and, and, and then usually I'll have someone I listen to and I exercise when I'm doing something, traveling uh, to, to help reinforce and give me thoughts and creative ideas. Um, and there's a lot of reasons we do this. Um, in, in part, I do it to uh, stay fresh, listen to new voices. Sometimes I listen to older voices, but, but to help me communicate to my people the essence of what the word of God is saying. Okay. Why don't you write your own sermons? Why don't they, that's what you're paid to do. Why don't you do your own exegesis, your own reading of scripture, your own study of scripture, write your own sermons. Why do you need a team? This is bizarre. You have time to lead a denomination, but you don't have time to research and write your own sermons. Something is seriously off here. And I'm going to make the case throughout this hour that what's really off is the lack of Christian ethics. I got a lot to say about it. We'll pause for a short break and come back. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International, engaging the world with God's Word for more than 80 years. Believers in Africa are hungry to read their very own Bibles. Hear from Pastor Jeremiah in Zimbabwe. The church is growing very fast in the northern part of the country where Tsonga-speaking people and Zulu-speaking people. And, uh, you know, we find that there's a movement of the Holy Spirit there where the hunger or spiritual hunger is very much visible. If you can imagine 10 Christians right now in many places in Africa, on average, nine have no access to the Bible. Here's Lillian in Mozambique. As we went to this church just on the outskirts of Maputo. Uh, the church had about um, about 100 people, and the, the only person actually who had a Bible was the pastor. 
but everybody else had never seen a Bible. And that gives us motivation to want to go more, to do more, to reach to as many people as we can, you know, where God gives us opportunity to go there and just take the word of God. Through Bible studies and resources that introduce people to Jesus Christ, Bible League is faithfully discipling new believers in Kenya, Ghana, Ethiopia, and many other African countries. Here's an evangelist named Joseph in South Africa. We were in a place called Mpumalanga. The lady there is about 60, 62 years or so. She literally cried. She knelt down and she cried. She never, at the age of 60, she never had a Bible. It is so much fulfilling just to see people like her rejoicing um, when they receive their Bibles. You can be the answer to a Bibleist believer praying for God's Word through Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa. $5 sends one Bible, $50 sends 10, and your gift right now of any size will help us reach our goal to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa. Call 800 Yes Word, 800 Y E S W O R D, or there's a Bible League banner to click at JanetMefford.com. I've seen people being changed by reading the scripture. Giving a Bible to somebody is the greatest gift you can give somebody in life. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, I know Ed Litton, the head of the SBC, who's embroiled in this plagiarism scandal, doesn't much want to talk to me or presumably any other journalist and or media host who will ask him any tough questions about the continuing scandal that just keeps unfolding and unfolding. I had mentioned briefly before Reformation Charlotte had noted that the co-pastor over at Redemption Church, where Lytton serves as pastor, Taylor Anderson, apparently also sermon borrowed J.D. Greer when he was preaching on Romans 12. And there's a video online you can watch. It just keeps coming. The hits keep coming. No wonder Ed doesn't want to do interviews. He's got to get ready to go out of town. Don't you understand, Janet? He's busy. Because a lot of people are super busy after a holiday weekend getting ready to go out of town. Am I cynical? A little. All right, let's go back to this interview with Baptist Press's Jonathan Howe. This is one of the interviews buried over the holiday weekend, so you make sure not many people hear it. But hey, we're here to hear it for you. He referred here to J.D. Greer's transcripts as akin to being commentaries. This one really takes the cake. This is cut for. The real motivation behind this was discipleship. It's it's helping raise up a new generation of pastors and leaders who can communicate the gospel. And uh, it, it has had an extraordinary impact. And, and it, the reverse part for me is that it, it helps me keep my voice young and preaching, too, because we're always trying to reach a new generation with the gospel. And so it uh, for us, it's been a very healthy process. And over the few years that we've done it, and I think we've been doing about five or six years now, um, it's really improved the quality of preaching, especially among these these young people. I see plagiarism is discipleship. How could I have missed this? Oh, and it's also a healthy process. You know what, folks? Not even Mark Driscoll tried to make that claim. I never heard him try once to make the claim that his plagiarism was done in the name of discipleship. Maybe he did and I just missed it. It was a pretty mind-blowing, fast-paced time in my life, but I don't recall even Mark Driscoll making that kind of a jaw-dropping assertion. That is really galling. All right, let's listen to a little bit more of the interview. This is Cut 5. What God has made very clear to us is that we are, according to Isaiah 48.10, in a refiner's fire. Malachi 3 tells us the same thing, that God is, uh, it doesn't matter where the heat's coming from, God being sovereign and intimately involved with our growth is helping us be refined. And, and I just want to say, I apologize to, to anybody who has been offended and rightly so and hurt. And, 
some of the things have been re- represented in such a way, but I'm, I'm not denying that uh, that we borrowed these things. And and, and I, I want to say this too. I I'm asked by good people and goodwilled people, um, why didn't you just credit JD? But I want you to hear my heart. Uh, this is not an excuse or a justification. Uh, I am sorry I did not. Yeah, but the question on the table was, why didn't you credit J.D.? This is the whole point. Regardless of whether or not you had J.D. Greer's permission and encouragement, does not get rid of the fact that you stood before your church and you passed off that entire sermon as your own work and you never once told them, hey, the following sermon is brought to you by J.D. Greer, who signed off on me stealing his sermon, or at least large portions of it. So most of what you're going to hear today, I need to credit to J.D. Greer. He's not going to do that. Why would he do that? Well, he didn't do that. And that's why he's not answering the question, why didn't you cite J.D. Greer? Here's the answer. He didn't want to. How about that? And if Ed Litton has some wonderful, great excuse other than trying to gaslight people, I would love to hear it. But I'm not going to accept this kind of ridiculous excuse making. Oh, well, I got permission. I got permission. Okay. And, you know, if you're offended, then that's terrible. Oh, let's get into that a little bit more. This this whole issue of the preaching, he brings down to this story he tells about a seminary professor and a student who preached, and he tries to apply this to his scandal. Listen to this one. This is Cut Six. Um, I had a preaching professor in seminary that um, we would preach in front of, and he would evaluate us. And he was one of the kindest people I've ever met uh, for evaluating. But uh, a student got up, probably the smartest guy in the class, and every citation from ICC Linsky, from any critical commentary, he he made the, the and, and any commentary. He cited all of them and even his illustrations. He said, I got this from that book and a thousand illustrations or whatever. When he got finished, the professor very kindly said that was a good sermon. But he said, I'm going to just tell you something. When a diamond miner goes looking for diamonds, he doesn't hold up the pick and the shovel. He holds up the diamond. Now, please hear my heart, Jonathan. Uh, I, I am not excusing myself or explaining. I'm just explaining my heart. I love my people and I want them to see Jesus. He is the diamond. Um, this has opened my eyes and it's opened concerns. And, and will I do it differently? I promise you I'm going to do it differently. And uh, even my preaching team uh, was, has been uncomfortable for the last two weeks because we, we are engaging this subject and I, they know what their pastor is going through, and they have, I'm sure, doubts. I know they do, doubts themselves. And we were able to talk out those things, and we're making this a growing experience because our God is a refiner. Uh, how, where do I start with this one? First of all, do you like the distancing language? He didn't commit any sort of serious moral offense here, folks. You need to hear his heart. Do you understand? He loves his people. And the point is not the pick and the shovel. The point is Jesus is the diamond. He just wants you to know Jesus. Don't you understand? He had to plagiarize, you know, and if he could do it differently, he'd go back and do it differently because he got caught. Uh, But, you know, there's no real problem here with Ed Litton plagiarizing. It's not a problem, really, because, you know, his staff understands what their pastor is going through. Right, Ed Litton, you're the victim. You're the victim in all of this. And anybody who has any kind of moral or ethical problem with what you did repeatedly, well, they just must not love Jesus the way you love him. It's horrible. It's horrible to make those claims. Your heart has nothing to do with it. And by the way, when you're talking about going through the refiner's fire, that has to do, if you actually read that verse, with affliction. 
affliction. Now, are you really afflicted when you commit some kind of gross moral offense? Eh, you're bringing on your own affliction, in my opinion. And I want to play one more cut. Uh, This is just incredible. Jonathan Howe asking Ed Litton, you know, how do we bring back civility? Because all of these mean people are so hostile, making your life so hard, Ed. You got to hear this. Cut seven. You know, a lot of this, I think, has shown us really the hostility of the day uh, online, Mm -hmm. both inside and outside of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, It's happening not just in our convention. It's happening in other conventions, other denominations. The PCA is going through theirs right now with their General Assembly in St. Louis. And we we see it a lot, really, in secular politics. I mean, that's been like the last five or six years in secular politics. It's gotten to a point where it's almost unbearable. How do we work with one another across these sides, so to speak? I put that in air quotes. Uh, But how, how can we see each other, you know, and and really improve on this culture that seems to be driven by attack, 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 rather than grace and unity and mercy? Again, that's a great question. I'm going to say this. I I applaud the people who are trying to do this. And there are good people trying to bring a civility to this on Twitter, other social media. We need to learn how to be civil in our conversation because, well, for a lot of reasons, because Christ commands it, but secondly, because the world is watching this. The hallmark of scriptural uh, debate conversation among believers is honor first, respect for one another, listening without condemnation, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. We we need to assume the best of each other and leave room for repentance when there is a need for genuine repentance. Uh, The assumptions on each other's hearts are just wrong, and we need to humble ourselves at that. Oh, another one. Okay. Ed Litton is lecturing his critics on honor. (laughs) Okay, that's hilarious because the world is watching. You know what, Ed Litton? It's not just the world watching, it's God watching. And God has expectations for people who name the name of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Uh, Grace, unity, and mercy. And oh, the problem is the culture of hostility. Right, the critics are the problem. Boy, this feels familiar. This is exactly what happened in 2013. Janet, you're the problem for pointing out Mark Driscoll's plagiarism. You know what? I'm not the problem. Mark Driscoll was the problem. I think that's been fully established. I think there's been a vindication there. It was Mark Driscoll who was the problem. And Ed Litton is the problem here. And I would argue J.D. Greer is the problem here. And I would say we don't have a problem with a culture of hostility so much as we have a loss of Christian ethics, a loss of Christian ethics and a defining deviancy down when it comes to sin that is clearly laid out as such in God's holy word. That's what's going on here a loss of Christian ethics. It is unconscionable for these people to try to bury all of this and have the help of their peers, some of the leaders in the Southern Baptist Convention who are on record talking about how evil plagiarism is, how disqualifying it is as a sin that can never be committed by somebody in the ministry, lest he lose his position in the ministry, which is absolutely true. And some of these same people who are on record saying this are silent, if not downplaying the entire thing. Where are they? We're all these brave souls in the Southern Baptist Convention who are all too happy to lecture you about your racism, which you don't have, or your white supremacy, maybe, that you don't have, or to talk to you about how much you hate immigrants, which you don't, or to yell at you over not caring about holistic pro-life or any of the leftist issues that they've been shoving down people's throats for the last several years. Thank you, Russell Moore. They're happy to speak up about that stuff because you're an ant, according 
according to James Merritt, for example, the former president of the SBC, who was on record in that cut that I played for you last week, talking about, hey, if you need a Father's Day sermon, guys, uh, just go ahead and use my thing over at pastorsedge.com. You're not even committing plagiarism. Actually, you are. And he's on record on Twitter right after this scandal broke talking about how what a great guy Ed Litton is. You know, and you can't worry about the ants. The culture of hostility of critics is the problem. Let me tell you how you get rid of people criticizing you for what you did wrong. You repent and you resign. Then it's over. Then you can move on with your life. You did the right thing. You showed people that you were serious about your sin. You didn't minimize it. You didn't do any kind of rhetorical games to try to show that the problem is really with your critics and not with you. You were honest before God and before your neighbor about it. Christian ethics matters, folks. I'm going to tell you why when we come back. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. This Janet Meffer Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Yes, I know we are still talking about this same subject of plagiarism and the scandal in the SBC pertaining to the head of the SBC, Ed Litton. And the reason that I'm on this is because this is incredibly important from an ethical standpoint. This is not just a problem, it would seem, with Ed Litton. It is also a problem with J.D. Greer, the former president of the SBC. Uh, It's now been revealed, Justin Peters over at Justin Peters Ministries has revealed that there is, and I knew about this company, a company called Docent Research Group, and on their website... Uh, they had a recommendation for them by J.D. Greer uh, talking about how he had used material for his sermons. They provided research, etc. This is the same group, by the way, that was involved in putting together Mark Driscoll's books. So they're a business and J.D. Greer's recommendation was taken down. You can find it on the Wayback Machine, apparently, but it's not on the website anymore. This raises a lot more questions than it answers, because now the question becomes, well, hey, wait a minute. How much did J.D. Greer use Docent Research Group to get his sermon material? To what extent did he use it? And how much did he pay for it, by the way? And did his church know that he was doing this? And did they sign off on the expenses to pay Docent Research Group? I don't know the answers to these questions. Perhaps they're out there and perhaps we'll get to the bottom of it at some point. But those would be some of the natural questions that would arise from finding out that J.D. Greer at one time had endorsed this Docent Research Group. It also raises further questions about Lytton and whether or not he plagiarized Greer directly or if perhaps he received docent research. I have no idea. There's no evidence so far that links Ed Litton that I know of to docent, so I would not make that claim. I don't know that there's any connection whatsoever, but it raises a lot more questions. And this is not something that makes you hostile if you raise this issue and say, there's a lot we don't know here, and I think we need to get to the bottom of this, because these are not low-level people at the bottom of the denomination. God bless them. Those are probably the best people in the denomination, the people on the low end of the totem pole. These are people who are running your denomination. And so far, they're doing their best to be the artful dodger. We're just going to put out a statement. See ya. I got to get ready to get out of town. So let me talk about Christian ethics for a minute. 
and I'm going to get into some of the scriptural violations involved here too. Uh, this really needs to be laid out and I've done it and I'm going to do it in a couple minutes for you. Norman Geisler, the, the late Dr. Norman Geisler, great apologist, great author, wrote a book called Christian Ethics, Options and Issues. And I was reading through this because I was very concerned and remain very concerned about the horrendous state of Christian ethics in modern evangelicalism and particularly right now in the Southern Baptist Convention. Here's what Dr. Geisler had to say. I'm quoting. He said, ethical systems can be broadly divided into two categories. And there's some big words here, but stay with me. Deontological and teleological. These are the different kinds of ethics. Deontological is duty-centered. Teleological is end-centered. He goes on to say, utilitarianism is an example of a teleological ethical system. For example, a man attempts to rescue a drowning person but fails. Now, according to one form of teleological ethics, this was not a good act because it didn't have good results. Since the results determined the goodness of the act and the results were not good, then it follows that the attempted rescue is not a good act. A more sophisticated form of teleological ethic might argue that the attempt was good, even though it failed, because it had a good effect on society. But even here, the attempted act of rescue that failed was not good in itself. Rather, it would have been good if and only it had brought some good results, either for the drowning person or for someone else. By contrast, the Christian ethic is deontological and insists that even some acts that fail are good. Christians believe that the cross was not a failure simply because only some will be saved. This is so because moral actions that reflect God's nature are good, whether they are successful or not. Good for the Christian is not determined in a lottery. In life, the winner is not always right. In Christian ethics, results are all calculated within rules or norms. That is, no anticipated results as such can be used as a justification for breaking any God-given moral law. Utilitarians, on the other hand, use anticipated results to break moral rules. In fact, they use results to make the rules. Exiting rules can be broken if the expected results call for it. Now, how do we apply this in this situation? Well, if you have Christian ethics, which are duty-centered, here's the little chart he gives. The rule determines the result. The rule is the basis for the act. The rule is good regardless of the result, and the result is always calculated within the rules. This is part and parcel of what we believe as Christians. When the Bible says, do not lie, it means do not lie. And you can use the act of a lie and try to justify it, but it's still a moral evil, period. <laughs> you know, God's moral law is unchangeable and he is eternally holy. I, the Lord, do not change. So you can't change morals simply because you want to twist things. By contrast, the teleological ethic is ends-centered, end or ends-centered. So the result determines the rule. The result is the basis of the act. The rule is good because of the result and the result sometimes is used to break the rules. How does this apply? This is how I apply it. When you see Ed Litton and J.D. Greer and those like them not appearing to be operating under a strict policy of Christian ethics, centered on God's moral law and our duty as Christians to obey it, but under something of a utilitarian ethic or teleological ethic, that base what they do on the results rather than what is right, then you have a big problem. For example, if you plagiarize a book like Mark Driscoll did or sermons like Ed Litton did, that's okay. Maybe it's a little wrong, but it's okay because 
the end result of doing that is more people hear the gospel and more people get to know Jesus and see that diamond. Or I get more money. I get more fame. I get viral videos. I get more cash. I get more stature. And so if the goal is all of those things, then whatever you do to attain that, you can justify. Which, by the way, in my opinion, is what Ed Litton attempted to do in those July 2nd interviews that he did. Oh, you know, I mean, Jesus is the diamond and you got to hear my heart. Okay, what I did, you know, okay, I, I, I regret it. But, you know, you got to hear my heart. That is not a Christian ethic. So if Ed Litton plagiarizes and it helps him fill his church with people and makes a name for himself and eventually ends with him becoming the president of the SBC, then does that make the plagiarizing acceptable? He's saying some of the right things now. Oh, I regret it. I shouldn't have done it. I'm sorry to anyone I offended. How about you apologize to God first? Because that's who you primarily offended. When you break God's moral law and you're claiming to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ, not just an ambassador, but you're in a position that requires stricter scrutiny. You're under stricter judgment if you're a pastor or a teacher than me as a layman. That's what the Bible says. And you are shirking your duty as a pastor when you don't research and write your own sermons. How hard is it? To write your own sermons, it is hard, but that's what you're hired to do. Why? In part, we have to go back to the fact that when you are hired as a pastor, you're not just preaching a sermon. It's some great oratory, and, and that's, you know, that, that's the goal. It's to feed your flock. That's the purpose. You are a shepherd of your flock. So oftentimes when you have a pastor who is preaching a sermon to you, he can make it very personal because he knows your grandma who just died, or he knows that your baby was lost in a miscarriage, or he knows that you've had some tragic car accident in your family. So he can apply the word of God to the needs, the spiritual needs of his own congregation as part of the bigger mission of ministering to the flock of God that is his charge. When you merely look at a sermon as some kind of performance, then you do what Ed Litton does and you justify it. And you justify it like J.D. Greer justified it. And apparently, according to an article on Patheos, other people who've been involved in promoting the Dosen Group or saying the Dosen Group does great work, uh, that includes names like Tim Keller and John Ortberg. Is this what the church is becoming? It's just a business after all, isn't it? It's just a business. You know, Ed Linton has not condemned what he did as a severe moral wrong. He hasn't shown so far as I've seen any godly sorrow or real shame or genuine repentance or any real accountability. And I would argue that that is the result of teleological ethics as opposed to Christian ethics infecting not just his mindset, but the mindset of these mega churchy guys and his friends and his peers at the top echelon of the Southern Baptist Convention. And Mark Driscoll did the same thing. And that's why when they're caught, the apologies are minimized and watered down and reluctant and forced, and they won't go on shows where they're going to be held accountable according to God's holy word. It matters, folks. And I'm going to tell you why when we come back from this break, the Bible matters. We'll address it when we return. You're listening to Janet Meffer today.
Hi, this is Janet Mefford. Did you miss the deadline to sign up for a health care program at the end of 2020? If so, I have good news. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th, meaning that if you're looking to enroll in a new health care program for 2021, you can do so without the need for a qualifying event. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their health care needs. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit health care sharing ministry that offers affordable health care sharing programs starting as low as $199 per month. Liberty HealthShare gives you the ability to choose any doctor or hospital across the nation. Memberships are for individuals, couples, and families offering a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. When Julia ended a bad relationship, she found out she was pregnant. After the father told her to get an abortion, this mom was confused and didn't know what to do or who to talk to. I just knew that if I got an abortion, a part of me would be broken. Julia was referred to a preborn center where she was counseled and supported with the strength that she needed to choose life. I couldn't imagine my life without him. Because of them, he's here. We're going to get through it and it's going to be okay. Preborn centers provide hope, love, free ultrasounds, and the gospel of Jesus Christ to moms like Julia. Preborn truly is the alternative to Planned Parenthood. Will you join Preborn in helping love and support young moms in crisis? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help rescue five babies' lives. To donate, call now, 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229, 855-402-2229, or there's a Preborn banner to to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. John Owen has a great sermon article, The Duty of Pastors. You can find it online. And he says, A man is a pastor unto them whom he feeds by pastoral teaching and to no more. And he that doth not so feed is no pastor, nor is it required only that he preach now and then at his leisure, but that he lay aside all other employments, though lawful, all other duties in the church as unto such a constant attendance on them as would divert him from this work, that he give himself unto it, that he be in these things laboring to the utmost of his ability. Without this, no man will be able to give a comfortable account of the pastoral office at the last day. John Owen understood the seriousness of the ministry. Today's guys, not so much. Let me go through some of the scripture that is important for you to understand because there are still, I know, Christians out there, well, it's a big deal. Oh, you borrow some material for your sermon, so what? No, it's a very serious thing. It's a violation of Exodus 20:15. Thou shalt not steal. It's a violation of Exodus 20:16. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. It's a violation of 1 Peter 2, 2, which says, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. So if you're not researching and writing your own sermons, then you're derelict in your duty to shepherd your own flock. It's a violation of 1 Peter 5, 3, which says, nor yet is domineering over those assigned to your care, but by proving to be examples to the flock. So if you're not researching and writing your own sermons, then you're a horrible example to your flock. He is by by example, demonstrating to his flock that the way you put a sermon together is you take somebody else's material and you pass it off as your own and you do sermons 
by team. The pastor doesn't have to sweat anything, actually reading passages and studying them and doing his own work and and praying for his congregation as he's doing it and trying to apply the word of God to their spiritual needs. Nah, it's just, you know, cut some corners. He's a terrible example to his flock. That's another important part of people understanding what kind of egregious sin he's committed. It's also what Ed Linton has done, a violation of 1 Peter 5, 5. When he talks about employing younger men, it's discipleship to do these sermons by committee. You know what? The Bible says you younger men will likewise be subject to your elders. He's got it exactly backwards. I know we're in a day and age where we worship youth all the time and see how well that's turned out for the church. But in fact, the Bible is very clear that the older are to instruct the younger. Why? Because the older are more mature in the faith. This is kind of really obvious. But if younger men are writing your sermons for you, that's not discipleship. It's a violation of 1 Peter 5, 5, because younger men are to be subject to their elders. And it's first and foremost, the responsibility of the shepherd to take the reins on teaching and instructing those younger men. And here's Ed Litton talking about, I need a fresh voice. Well, read a book. You know, read a book. How do, if you don't have time, I'm going back to the same thing. If you don't have time to prepare your own sermons or you just don't feel like it, how are you going to have time to run the SBC? We know you don't have time to do real interviews, but how are you, how are you going to have time to run the SBC? Oh, yeah, he also didn't know that there was heresy on his website. Wink, wink. Okay, so he's going to run a, a denomination just fine. We'll see how this turns out. What else has he done? He violated 1 Timothy 5.17 which says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. If you are not researching and writing your own sermons, you are not laboring in the word and doctrine, are you? You're not laboring. Somebody else is doing the laboring and you're stealing it. It's also a violation of Acts 20, 28, which says, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. So if you're not researching and writing your own sermons, you are derelict in your duty to feed your own flock over which God has made you an overseer. You have a duty to those people. Those particular people who are sitting in front of you on any given weekend, there to hear the word of the Lord. And you're giving them something you took from somebody else. It's disgusting. I'm sorry. It's disgusting. It's ethically and morally disgusting. It's a violation, what he's done, of 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Remember that verse? So if you're not doing your own work on your own sermons, you have need to feel ashamed because you didn't rightly handle the word of truth. And indeed, you likely didn't handle it maybe at all. Think about this. There's verse after verse after verse. Here's another one. Violation of 1 Timothy 3, 2 and Titus 1, 6 and 7. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. If you're not doing your own work on your sermons, you're no longer above reproach. You're no longer respectable. And you're clearly not able to teach, are you? Because you don't put together your own sermons. Do you lack something? Then why are you in that position? It's also a violation of 1 Timothy 3, 7, which says, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, meaning the overseer, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. If you're not researching and writing your own sermons, you are not going to be well thought of by outsiders, but rather you will have fallen into disgrace. And that's where we are. There's also a violation in this instance of Titus 1.9, talking about the overseer must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. 
Now we can say something about that given the terrible theology that he was preaching in that initial sermon that came out on homosexuality with God whispers about it. Okay. No, that's not a trustworthy word. That's not what the Bible teaches. The verse goes on to say, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. If you're not researching and writing your own sermons, you show yourself unable or unwilling to give instruction in sound doctrine. You're not doing it. Somebody else is doing it. And finally, what about James 1.22, which says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If you're not doing your own work, you're not a doer of the word because the Lord has told you to feed the flock. You are in serious trouble with the Lord if you are treating your responsibility for the flock so lightly. So I don't want to hear any more from Ed Litton about hearing his heart or holding up the diamond of Jesus or talking about the culture of hostility that's just so terrible. People need to be more honorable and assume the best. Wrong. Assume the best. Listen, when you see somebody committing something that is morally wrong, you no longer can assume the best, can you? Because the truth just hit you like a pie in the face. It is what it is. And it is what it is because of Ad Litton's actions, not because of those of us who are looking at this and saying, this is horrible. You know, you think about all the woes unto you in scripture too. You know, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Or even the woe to the shepherds passage of Jeremiah 23, woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you've scattered my flock and have driven them away and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Look, I know it's not fashionable. Andy Stanley and his ilk tend to like to tell us that the Old Testament needs to be unhitched forget that go back and read the old testament because the same lord who gave us his word in the old testament is the same one who sent jesus to us as our lord and savior and the same one who gave to us breathed out by the holy spirit the new testament it's all god's word all god's holy word all applicable to us today the ten commandments did not go out of style because the church growth movement came on board we have to take sin seriously we have to demand and insist that the pastors who lead us are meeting the demands of Scripture in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, the qualifications for the ministry, which are mainly based on his character. And we need to get rid of this shrugging of the shoulders that would cause us to say, eh, we're all sinners. Yeah, we are all sinners in need of forgiveness. But the point is, God says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And we don't care about that very much anymore. I can do whatever I want. It's antinomianism. I can do whatever I want. God loves to forgive and I love to sin. It's a great deal. You know, there are serious repercussions when you take the word of God lightly. And I praise the Lord for those Christians who are not staying silent about this scandal and are not letting these men off the hook. I think if there's an Ichabod moment on the horizon, it's in the SBC because these men of God do not tremble at his word and they do not take seriously all of the warnings in scripture about men who are derelict in their duty toward the flock. Jesus laid down his life for the sheep and he expects the shepherds to take good care of them, doesn't he? You can't excuse this. You can't do enough softball interviews to weasel your way out of it. And I would just encourage those Christians who are listening, if you're part of the SBC, you press these people. Because why would you trust a man who would be that deceptive and then act like it was not that big of a deal? 
Why would you want someone like that leading your denomination? And I think the only way the wrongs will be righted here is if Ed Litton actually does show some actual godly sorrow and repentance for his sin and steps down. He shouldn't be in the ministry. J.D. Greer shouldn't be in the ministry, in my opinion. And we shouldn't be afraid to say that because our standard is God's word and Christian ethics, not this utilitarianism that is so rife within evangelicalism in the SBC at the moment. I'm out of time, but thank you so much for listening and keep the SBC in your prayers. We'll see you next time right here on Janet Mefford Today. This hour has been brought to you by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD.